This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. A top Ukrainian diplomat says there's no more time for trying to figure out why Russia is doing what it is doing. It's about time for all of us to stop trying to analyze it and just realize that we have to stop it. Oksana Markarova, Ukraine's ambassador to the U.S. After eight years of war in Ukraine, after Russia not only attacked us, but attacked Georgia in 2008, attacked Syria before, attacked Moldova in the early of 90s, poisoned people in London, shot MH17, a commercial peaceful aircraft from the sky. It's time for all of us to say we don't really care why they're doing. And there's only one thing that matters. They shouldn't be allowed to do that in the 21st century to another nation. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. On June 28th, another Russian missile strike targeted a civilian structure in Ukraine. On that day, it was the Kremenchuk shopping mall. A couple of days later, it was an apartment building in a suburb of Odessa. On the 28th, we spoke with Ukraine's ambassador to the U.S., Oksana Madkarova, and I asked her why this keeps happening, and she said it's time to stop asking why. It's time to just stop it. Ambassador, yet another tragic situation is unfolding in Ukraine today. Um, It's our understanding that a Russian missile has crashed into a civilian location inside Ukraine. And can you bring us up to date on what's happening in, in I believe it's Kremanchuk? Yes, you're absolutely right. Yet another war crime, one of so many that Russia commits in Ukraine for the past 124 days, but essentially for the past eight years. And during the last weekend, we have seen Russia again, in addition to all the firepower they're using at the east and south, targeting so many civilian locations in Kiev, in Chetomer, in other places. And today, uh, I mean, uh, Karendos, uh, they, they specifically targeted with missiles a shopping mall in Kremenchuk, Poltava region, a place where usually, you know, thousands of people could be at the same uh, time with, with children. So we do not know how many we lost as of now. We know definitely that there are 10 people dead. But uh, the firefighters and everyone, the rescuers are still working at the premise. Uh, so it's difficult even to imagine how many did we lose. And it's a pure civilian place. Yesterday on Sunday, there was an attempt uh, on Kiev. What, what message do you get from the attempt by Russia to launch a missile into Kiev? Well, it's the same message we get since the war was started by Russia in 2014. They are trying to eliminate Ukraine as an independent state. 
it's very black and white. And unlike 2014, I think it's clear to everyone now after February 24 that uh, there was nothing that we did to provoke it unless being free and democratic is the reason to be attacked. And that there is nothing that Russia would not do, no red lines, you know, they are shooting at civilians objects, they cross the border, they occupy the territories, when they occupy, they rape, kill, torture, all of that. So uh, if anything, I mean, it's very difficult, every day is difficult, but as we said before this phase of the war, that Ukrainians will not surrender and Ukrainians will not give up, I think it's also clear to everyone that this fight is existential for us. It's our home. We cannot surrender. And like we didn't surrender for the past 124 days, we will not surrender in the future. And hopefully together with all the friends and allies and with increased amount of weapons and sanctions, we will be able to win faster. So you mentioned this war has been going on for 124 days. And and in the early part of this war, Russia... And I guess a lot of others believe that Ukraine would not last two to three days, but you've proven that you are, as you say, uh, not going to give up. What do you believe it is that has allowed or helped Ukraine to, to fight this long? Well, first, I think it's in our blood. I mean, we have been we have been occupied by Russia for the past 400 years. And literally all these times, many generations of Ukrainians fought for freedom. Now, what is different this time is that we have all the ingredients at the same time. We have the president who is brave and who's leading the nation through this. We have the armed forces that have battle tested for the past eight years. They have been defended, defending Ukraine after Russia attacked us in 2014. We have the civil society, pretty much everyone, all 40 millions of Ukrainians are fighting to defend our homes. And we have our partners, the US first and foremost, but also other transatlantic allies who, again, very decisively not only support us with words, but support us with deeds, with weapons support, with uh, financial support to Ukraine and with sanctions. Hopefully, you know, we will increase all of that in all fronts so that not only we can fight together, but we can win together because this win is not only going to be the win of Ukraine. It's going to be all of us, all democratic countries, winning together. You mentioned as well, uh, Ambassador, uh, the things that you've gotten from the West and from the U.S. as well. What are the things that you need most at this point? Well, you know, in in multiple choices, there is always uh, sometimes the option all of the above. This is the this is this is what we need. We are fighting uh, with the country that is so much bigger than us, and again, so much more brutal. So we see that we have in the East this artillery duel now, when Russians essentially using all the firepower that they have in order to simply destroy our villages and cities into rubble. So we need in order not only to stop them, but to also do some counteroffensive to liberate areas where we know what happens to our people. They have been killed and, and raped there. So we need all the firepower that we can get from the artillery to multiple ro- launch rocket systems. We also need the air defense. We also need the UVAs. We also, I mean, all of it, the armored vehicles. And our partners know pretty well. I mean, I think the level of cooperation we have now with the U.S. and with other partners and the U.S. initiative to get all the countries that are in in this anti-war coalition with us in Ramstein and all the ministers of defense talking to each other is very helpful too. 
So it's just a question of how to coordinate better, how to get more of what we need and how to get it quicker and faster to the battleground that we can put it to good use. President Zelensky said earlier today he wants to end this war by the end of the year. And obviously, everybody wants this war to be over uh, as soon as possible, with the exception, perhaps, of the Kremlin. Um, but um, why, why did he say the end of the year? Is there a specific reasoning behind that? Is it the, the season of the year, or what's the reason for that? Well, first of all, of course, we all want the war to end as fast as possible. I mean, every day of this war, our losses, not only of our brave defenders, but also of civilians, uh, so many of them everywhere in Ukraine. Uh, we also understand that if Russia stops fighting, as we say, there will be no war. But if Ukraine stops fighting, there will be no Ukraine. So we will fight until Russia, Russia and Russian troops are out from our land. Uh, now, it's much more difficult to fight during the winter time. It's cold, it's muddy, it's, uh, the conditions are much uh, more difficult. This is when Russia is more successful in, in, in uh, uh, blackmailing everyone with the resources that they're, they're trying to withhold from everyone or increase the prices. So of course, the faster we win, the, the, uh, the, 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 the better. Also, you know, the economy, Ukrainian economy, 50% of that is destroyed by Russians. Uh, we already run a deficit of approximately 5 billion US dollars. And we're very thankful and grateful to the US, US Congress and the American people and President Biden for not only supporting us with weapons, but also supporting us with the financial assistance. Because it's very important to feed the people. It's very important to pay the pensions. It's very important to, to have at least some provision of, of basic goods to Ukrainians so that we can sustain the defense effort. That's why, I mean, getting into winter is going to be very difficult. So, you know, we would like to, to, to end this war and win as soon as we can, preferably before the end of the year. I know you've heard this question many times before and people have said it different ways, but we keep coming back to the same thing. Despite, of, despite everything that Ukraine has done, and it's been a valiant effort to, f to fight off uh, Russian attackers and, and to, to, to make it through these horrible war crime situations, uh, and all of the weapons and all of the money and all of the sanctions that the, the West and the rest of the world has, have imposed on Russia, Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin continues to do this. What is, it, what is your understanding of what drives them and him? Well, it's very difficult for good people to understand what drives evil to do what they want to do, you know. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, it's, it's about time for all of us to stop trying to analyze it and just realize that we have to stop it. After eight years of war in Ukraine, after Russia not only attacked us, but attacked Georgia in 2008, attacked Syria before, attacked Moldova in the early of 90s, poisoned people in London, uh, shot MH17, a commercial peaceful aircraft from the sky. It's time for all of us to say, you know, we don't really care why they're doing it. They shouldn't be doing it. They shouldn't be allowed to do that in, this, in, in, in the 21st century uh, to another nation. So I think, you know, it's, uh, it's very difficult to understand. How do you understand 
why people kill innocent civilians, why people kill and torture children. It's impossible to understand it, but it's the duty of all of us to stop it. And we definitely in Ukraine all resolved to do it. We're very happy that our friends and allies here in the US are together with us. And if whatever we've done so far is not enough to stop, it just means that we have to double our efforts and stop it. I've spoken to a number of your colleagues back at home, uh, Evgenia Kravchuk, uh, Sofia Fadina. Um, I've spoken to um, Ambassador uh, Klimpush Sensadze, uh, and they've all said the same thing you've said in a different way, that this absolutely has to stop immediately. And a number of countries have pledged to do things and said they were going to do things, but they don't seem to be following through on them. Some of the stuff that you've asked for is slow in coming. It's very hard to figure out what more it would take to mobilize people to move faster, because it's clear that the more time elapses, the more time Russia has to continue to try to build strength up. And I'm wondering what message can you send today to those countries, to those folks who say they support Ukraine, but they still aren't stepping up? Well, Mr. Putin has been very clear in his messaging before he started in in February 24th and actually eight years ago, when he said that it's about revanchism for him, it's about collecting back whether it's the Soviet Union or Russian Empire. So clearly, Ukraine is not the only target on his list. Now, after the war started, he mentioned even some other Western European countries and other countries that he considers or Russian Federation considers to be evil and thus, you know, in his mind, would attack targets. So I think if we would like to live in the world, which is uh, more secure and more peaceful than what we have right now, We have to do it, it's in all of our interest to essentially show that A, not only democracy can deliver for the people, but also democracy can defend itself. That we together can say no to an autocratic regime that went completely nuts and decided to use force uh, for whatever reasons they are doing it. So when 141 countries said and condemned in the United Nations this, and when international court on 16th of March essentially ordered Russia to stop this, we also have to ensure that we have all together, we can all together uh, enforce these decisions. So I know it's tiring. I know it's difficult. And it's uh, definitely difficult also and very tiring for, for, for Ukrainians. But there is no option to stop. It's existential for us, and it's existential for anyone who believe in the principles of freedom and democracy and for the rights of people just to live like they want to live. You know, like uh, for people in other countries, especially countries which are far away from us. I just want to remind the great words of Martin Luther King, who said, you know, the injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. This is so true. And all of us, Ukraine included, I think through after this war, we'll definitely be paying more attention to what going, what's going on everywhere on our planet, that we collectively stop something like this uh, when it happens anywhere. And yes. we are very grateful to the countries which are together with us now in this fight. Yes. 
Um, you also um, talk about ending this war when this war does end, and hopefully it's sooner than later. What should happen after that to the Kremlin, to Vladimir Putin, to the people who have been responsible for this? And uh, what framework do you see this? Uh, and how does how do you rebuild Ukraine? What are those? What are the answers to those questions? Well, two things should happen: justice and rebuilding Ukraine. So after we win and after the war stops, it's not gonna be a success and a, a complete win until all the people who did this are brought to justice. From the leadership to, to all the people who are doing these war crimes on the, on the ground, to those people who financed and supported it. So justice is a very important element of, of the victory. And it's very important not only to Ukraine, but also to prevent any other dictator in the future to do that. That is why through all the international courts, through criminal investigation in Ukraine and through criminal proceedings in more than 13 countries now with which we cooperate and provide all the evidence so that we can uh, hold all the people accountable. And second part is rebuilding. And we really dream about the day when we win and we can inspire the world, the world not with how we fight, but with how we build Ukraine back better, how we build something that is innovative, that is inspiring, that is uh, something that, you know, people can say, wow, you know, this is, this is the new Ukraine, this is the rebuilt Ukraine. And of course, it's going to be very hard, you know, healing process. But um, we cannot even start thinking about that until we win. Ambassador, is there anything you want to add that I haven't asked you about on any particular topic area that I haven't brought up today? No, no, I think you've touched on, on all the important elements of that. And, uh, you know, we just have to sustain the effort. We just have to continue the fight as long as it's necessary for us to win. Okay. Um, you mentioned Martin Luther King earlier about his justice quote, but Martin Luther King also said, too, um, I've seen the promised land. And he said, we will get there as a people. He also said, I may not get there with you, but we will get there. So, you know, I'm not sure how long this takes or how long it lasts, but there are people that are committed to helping you, making sure you get to that promised land and that that will happen. Um, I truly believe that. And there are a lot of people here in this country that believe that. And I'm really, really pained that you have to go through this. But I just need you to know that there are people here who are on your side and will continue to push and push and push until the curtain opens on the promised land. So thank you again. Thank you very much. Not only we feel it, but we also know it and we really appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode... During the Cold War. There were three spies, moles in American intelligence in Russian operations. Their names were Edward Lee Howard, Aldrich Ames, and Robert Hansen. But former CIA covert officer Robert Bayer says authorities discovered something else. The CIA and the FBI sat down and looked at all the compromises that they knew about and said, there's gotta be another guy at the CIA. 
and that guy is still at large. So he's written a new book about it called The Fourth Man, the hunt for a KGB spy at the top of the CIA and the rise of Putin's Russia. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, Cobra Kai fans, come hear what Peyton Liss has to say on Kicking It With The Coves this week. Peyton plays one of my favorite characters, Tori Nichols. Our stunt coordinators came up with a sort of training background for each character. Mm, like, that's interesting. Uh, Tori had done a little kickboxing before, so that kind of came in when I first tried to take on Miguel and why I was cocky enough to think that, you know, I could come in here and I could just make an entrance. Listen to Kicking It With The Coves now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, and wherever you can sweep your leg and get the podcasts.